I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome back to another edition of the Friday Golf Podcast. I am Andy Johnson, and uh, today we are doing a little bit of a turf week. You know, this is a salute to all the superintendents out there. Um, it's kind of the end of their really tough season. I uh, I heard, I remember Aaron McMaster, uh, the su- superintendent at uh, Orchard Lake, talked about like a mid-August date. I can't remember exactly what the date is, but the date where he got to sigh a deep breath of relief. And I think we're at about that time. I know it's really hot in parts of the country right now, but we're at that time where the dew gets a little bit heavier, the nights get a little bit cooler, and uh, the turf turf community sighs a little bit of a, a deep breath of relief. So, Today, uh, I was really excited. I was joined by Jimmy Humpson, who just completed, uh, I guess it's still going on, but is the man responsible for growing in the Lido, the new golf course uh, at Sand Valley. It is obviously a recreation of uh, really, you know, they like to use the word restoration of the Lido. They they did a painstaking research, uh, Peter Flory, Tom Doak, um, a lot of people involved in this project uh, that, you know, put back the old Lido course that was on Long Island in Wisconsin. So I went out there uh, a couple weeks ago. It is a uh, it's an incredible, incredible project. Uh, I just uh, I think the the size of some of the features, the intricacies of the you know really like the fairway contours. For those that don't know. You know, the Lido was a course that was really created um, out of nothing. Um, it was a pretty, pretty poor site. Uh, C.B. McDonald w- wanted to give away, give the job back because he was, uh, you know, he felt like he was duped into this really bad site on Lido Beach that was all muck. Um, but they went through and, you know, brought it, uh, brought sand onto the site and created all these contours, and that's really what the Lido in Wisconsin uh, represents too. It it was a very flat uh, site and we talk a little bit about, you know, what the site was before and they really created all these contours. It is a super cool project and um, one that, uh, you know, listen, it's not on, uh, on Long Island and on the Atlantic ocean, but um, it is pretty neat that it exists in some form. So, We'll have a lot more content on the Lido, but this was a this was a great chat with Jimmy about his time at Sand Valley. He's been there for uh, a great deal of time. He was uh, the superintendent when the Sandbox opened, and has been there since then. Um, so we talk about uh, his life living in uh, Nakusa and growing in the Lido. Before we get to Jimmy, let's do a quick ad read from our sponsor of Turf Week, Toro. Americans like our utility vehicles the way we like our U.S. Open courses. Rugged. A winner needs to do it all in tough conditions. And Toro's new Workman UTX line is here to get the job done. Any job. Snow and ice removal, tree maintenance, transporting equipment or materials. Whatever you need, this commercial-grade, smooth-riding, four-wheel-drive monster has your back. The Workman UTX's proprietary governing system unpairs ground speed and RPM so that operator can limit the machine's speed without gutting the power. Higher RPMs when more oomph is required, less RPMs, and less fuel consumption when it isn't. That kind of all-around performance is what champions are made of. Follow at Golf on Twitter, or X, I guess, and reach out to your local Toro distributor to schedule a demo. Uh, but before you had uh, taken the job at Sand Valley, uh, what did you know about the uh, Nakusa, Wisconsin area? I'd never heard of it. So um, it was all new to me learning about central Wisconsin and, and what lies here 
uh, in my career. I was a, I'd worked in four different states across the southeast and thought I'd be there forever. And this this opportunity knocked, and uh, the more I researched Wisconsin and and what the the Kaisers were doing here in uh, the Central Sands, it just really uh, took a hold of me. Where, did you have? Uh, I imagine you came on. Did you have any uh, any any second thoughts when you got a little bit of uh, the winter flavor? Your you know your first winter. Was there any any? Uh, uh, what am I doing here? Uh, to be frank, I, winter's my favorite season here. Uh, it certainly took some acclimation to get that way, um, but I was engaged at the time when I took the job, slated to be married essentially when I started. And I promised my wife we would never, I'd never move her to the middle of nowhere uh, <laughs> as part of our marriage agreement. And so I immediately, you know, that was nullified right off the bat. And uh, luckily, my wife also is a, is a big fan of the winter. Uh, we enjoy being outside. And that's what I think it takes here to, to you know, want to be here is in Wisconsin for, you know, several years and beyond is just you got to love the winter or just embrace it. and find your hobbies and things to get you outside. What do you guys do in the winter outside? Uh, myself, I'm, I'm a pretty avid uh, fat biker. So I do a lot of bike riding outside. Um, in the snow. And then, you know, oh yeah. So trail grooming, uh, winter fat bike trail grooming is a big um, kind of undertaking here throughout the, the central and further north you go in the state. So there are several miles of uh, groom trail in the um, central area of Wisconsin. And we, we have groom trail here at Sand Valley. So it's uh, right, right in the backyard. That's the thing. I feel like the, with the resort and how it's growing is uh, you know, it's really embracing the, all the different things that you can do out there, whether it be, obviously they have the outdoor tennis, but you know, one of the best things, and it's so hard because everybody goes there and they try and jam in as much golf as they can, but some of the trails out there are beautiful. It is. It, it's, um, you know, when you drive in, it's all flat farmland and, and pine plantation. And then you come through the entry and and the topography of the dunes. You know, we have close to 100 feet of elevation change throughout the property and um, walking through the ridge lines and, and the hardwoods and then the open prairies. And, and it's just it's unique. And everyone that experiences it, you know, says the same thing. It's can't believe this is in Wisconsin. You started at Sand Valley in uh, 2018, so pretty much, I mean, maybe the second year of operation, really, right after the after the preview play. That's correct. I started uh, shortly after uh, the sandbox. Once the sandbox opened, um, they they essentially determined, you know, we need to hire another superintendent, and um, so I was. I was. I was brought on and. Um, was excited to start my first superintendent job and career here at Sand Valley at the Sandbox. I uh, that golf course, I love that golf course. I it I, is. I say to people, and I I don't know if this is going to still be the case. I think it's too early to make a determination. I always say to people that's the best course at Sand Valley. Um, there's something special. What I what was it like um, going from being an assistant superintendent to you know, you're, you get your first superintendent job, but it's at a par three course. Right. And that was something that, you know, initial thoughts would, was I was leery of. I was fortunate, uh, came from the Elotion Club in central Arkansas. And that's a big time operation. And I was fortunate enough to, um, I feel like have a lot of the probably experience that a average day superintendent has because you, you get a lot of responsibility and a lot put on you at, at the Elotion. And, so I felt like I was certainly ready, but but visiting here and and you know seeing the property and learning that the 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 sandbox is not treated just like an afterthought. You know it is treated the same as a big course. You have your own crew, you have your own you know budget. You're not borrowing uh, people from the other courses to make it happen. It it is a true operation. You know just just like the other courses, and that uh, really excited me to to come from bigger properties. And be able to focus everything on just those twenty five acres and not have all the driving time it, it was it was pretty cool what what's the toughest thing about maintaining a par three course and then what what was the biggest um advantage or you know your favorite aspect of of 
you know, your team and, 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 and maintaining the sandbox? I, I think the, the, the toughest thing about the sandbox is here is that everyone's out there to have a great time. And, you know, if you go out and stand around the sandbox, you know, at 4 p.m. or after, it is it is happening out there. <laughs> and uh, so with that, you know, there's, there's no, the big course, you know, they take caddies. Caddies do a pretty good job of cleaning up the course. Lido, caddies are required. They're, they're really doing, doing a, a, a great job of, you know, taking care of the course. And then the sandbox, everyone's out there just to have a good time. And uh, so just, just that extra, you know, evening time, everybody's a little more relaxed. The course in the mornings, you know, at first it really frustrated me, you know, picking up cans everywhere <laughs> and trash. And, you know, so you'd, you'd find sand angels in the bunkers, you know, and it's just uh, one of those things that you get used to and, and you start to appreciate the fact that just people are having fun uh, and, and just really enjoying the game. And that, that what was the best part about uh, about the, you know, managing the sandbox? What was your favorite part or the or the biggest advantage to maintenance on a par three course? I, w- I, I think probably the, my favorite part was probably just the small, small crew size. Uh, I came from an operation that was about 50 people that you're managing and scheduling daily. And. Then I came to the sandbox and there was about six of us. So being able to really dial in and focus on what's most important with that small amount of people uh, probably is I'm a man of efficiency. And when I see waste, uh, it just drives me nuts. I'm always trying to figure out, you know, ways to do things faster with the same quality and without rushing. You know, rushing is the enemy of all. Uh, but and that's probably what really you know i latched onto and just loved about the job the most with the with the you know kind of coming from the lotion club uh you were assistant superintendent there you came to sand valley what were there are there you know when you think back are there really uh differences in just the maintenance philosophy and what were those in general between those two clubs or the two two facilities Sure. I, I certainly think the, the climate plays a huge role in that. Um, you know, at the Elotion, we were growing the same surface of greens there that we're growing here at Sand Valley. So if you look at the weather forecast for, you know, I, I still speak to Justin and Koji down there fairly often. And, you know, I'll see the 10 day forecast and it's just the hazy, hot cactus, uh, <laughs> you know, so they're growing bent grass in that. And uh, that is a huge difference. And, you know, I always say you can in the south with bent grass, you can mess up once you can make one mistake. But if you make another mistake, you're you're in big trouble. And here I feel like, you know, with just the cooler heat stress is the number one factor, you know, that you manage for 100 days in in a climate like that. And here there's no such thing as heat stress. You know, it, it gets into the 90s, but there's you know, the soil is still 30 degrees cooler, 25 degrees cooler than what it is in Little Rock. So um, heat stress is certainly the biggest factor with that. You know, you're having to spray a lot more fungicides uh, further south. And here we can probably, you know, we can go sometimes 60 to 90 days, I would say, on our, our surfaces uh, without a fungicide. And, and the fescue does not, is basically a no input grass. Um, so not having to do those inputs and and doing things a little more naturally just because you can because of the you know the the it's a windy environment grass loves wind and um so certainly i'd say the climate just is a game changer what do you, what do you think back to uh you when you started at um sand valley it obviously is a, a much different place than it is now i think one of my i one of my first trips as the with the fried egg uh was to sand valley and it was when it was preview play for sand valley the original course and you know everything was operated out of a trailer you know i i just i always think back to that and every time i drive in i'm like whoa look at like all everything going on and this was most recently i'm like i again was shocked and it was something that uh i i always kind of reflect on every time i come in when you 
what is the aspect of growth that most impresses you when you think about it from when you started? Uh, you know, it's the it's the sum of all the small things that that really add up, and um, probably the the scale of the growth is just it it happens over a weekend. You know, if I if I'm able to take a weekend off and just go to a part of the property, or now that I'm across the street. You go across and see, you know, you go to an area you haven't been to in two weeks and there's a whole mile of new road paved. And um, or, you know, for instance, I've been able to finally see a course this year get built with sedge not being there every day and just going out there and seeing what what Sam and his crew have done and, and Santos and, and Craig's crew just every day uh, out there building a golf course. And it's just it's unbelievable. It just takes your breath away. And, um, the logging at Lido really taught me that, that, that the, the sum of what you can do in a day starts to add up, you know, as they started logging for Lido, I would come out here several days in a row and I'm back. Like, oh yeah, they cut some more trees. And then I would be gone a week and come back and say, they've cut a lot of trees. And so knowing that it doesn't feel like you're getting a lot done in a day, you just stay at it, keep working. and you know, that development, the course, it just, it just starts to come really together. It's it's incredible. I feel that's so true about golf architecture and golf construction projects is like, if you're there every day, if you know, I, I had the, uh, I spent a lot of time on site at a project last winter. And if, when you're there, I felt like when I was there consecutive days, I was like, ah, there's just nothing going on. You know, it's like, (laughs) Then you then you're gone for a week and you come back and it's like whoa, <laughs> like look at all this stuff that happens. It, it's a it's a it it's a crazy little part about like the the when you're the development aspect of of golf is is that it doesn't feel when you're in it like stuff's moving, but then when you take a little bit of a step back, it is um it's it's hu- it's huge how much is going on. Uh, when you think back to early days of uh, of Sand Valley, is there an aspect of it that you miss now that you've just gotten a little, you know, it's bigger, the team's bigger. There's, I'm sure, you know, different ways you do things. Is there anything you miss from the early days? Uh, you know, I don't really consider myself an early dayer of Sand Valley. Those guys that you spoke of that were in the trailers, uh, you know, I think, uh, pretty sure it was, uh, it was Bill Cord, Tom Doak said it one, said said the guy that has to come to a site first with no infrastructure, no restaurant, no hotel, like those are the guys that have it tough. When I came, there was, you know, restaurant, um, there was a metal building, a shop, all the equipments here. You know, the the guys, Rob, Andy, uh, you know, some of the original golf pros, they were the ones that, you know, they showed up in a, you know, Austin, the original equipment, he had a, you know, he had a pallet shop. And he had like 10 pallets with plyboard on top of them. And that's, that was his shop to work on. And so I'm been here five years, but I came here after that infrastructure. was in. So I don't know what the early days were like. I'm, but, I'm saying your early days, like, you know, it's, it's good. You know, five years has grown like crazy. I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, it, those like first, maybe the first year versus where it is now, anything that you, uh, that you really miss about, you know, it could be even something personally. Yeah, sure. Um, I would say just the, uh, you know, the the first two winters I was here, it really did. November felt like we were just, you know, you were closing. It was like a hard close. And even though the golf course is hard closed now, we, you know, and those first two years, there was no, you know, in the wintertime, no, there was no construction going on, you know, maybe a, a lodge getting built or something. And, you know, now this, this, uh, you know, this whole, you know, community here at Sand Valley is just buzzing, you know, just year round with roads, buildings. And I appreciate that. I I love, I'm a busy body and and love the action, but, you know, a part of me does, you know, miss a little bit of the, you know, just the, that, that looking forward to November and the, and the calm, uh, certainly, you know, we, we are, uh, we're, we're in a 365 operation now with the um, restaurants and hotels. So that's um, something I, I really enjoy. But, you know, part of me misses that that little bit of that hard close. 
All right, let's talk about your most recent um, adventure uh, occupation there, and it, it, it's the Lido. You uh, were in charge of, of really growing in the Lido. When did you start working on the Lido, and what stage was it in at that point? So I, I became the Lido superintendent in officially on paper, I believe, in February of 2020. Um, and at that point, I probably had known for three or four months before that, that this was, you know, what I was doing, but, you know, I officially had to say, yes, I'm doing this. And, um, when I came on, I would say officially the, uh, you know, the site was essentially logged. Um, the pond, the lagoon had been dug, uh, probably halfway and probably the North half of the um property about 100 acres had been you know grubbed and stumped and uh, the organic stripped off root raked so i would say you know it was a pretty early on i'm fortunate i live essentially right next door so you know i was riding my bike through the property throughout all winter uh you know checking it out and watching the logging and then watching the sand get exposed and this was just kind of blown away with the process and uh, really motivated me to get going. Could you could you talk about uh, you know for people that have been to Sand Valley, it it is a it was a tree plantation you know of pines where people would just you know the, it was farmed pines so it's just rows of pines that were you know cut down and then regrow and so there's just pines over sand. How do you turn that into getting it ready? to have golf built on it sure so uh um, to start you know you um we we have some loggers we work with so anything that is quote merchantable um uh, you know red it's all red pine so anything that uh, the mills will will take uh are sold to the paper mills you know the wisconsin river is the hardest working river in the world with um we've had two of the mills have become idled but we still have three active mills within uh, 20 minutes of the property. So getting, getting the, the timber out to them is usually a, um, a, a pretty, you know, easy task. And then from there, uh, the stumps or every stump is dug out with an excavator one by one. And, um, so you're that just fucking stumps, right. And, um, so those are put into a pile, uh, and then the, the overburden, the, the organic, which, you know, we probably have a, it's about 12 inches of dark. Uh, we call it organic. Um, this from the organic buildup throughout, throughout the years, that's all stripped off and we get down to good, clean sand. And then from there, uh, we do the flip process. So then an excavator, just like you think digging the stumps is a lot. Every single square foot is dug, you know, with an excavator probably about three feet deep and completely just flipped over. So any stick root, you know, a little bit of dark organic that's left over is put down on the bottom. So we're on this completely sterile dune sand. What, what happens? Does anything I've just, this is just, I, and excuse me for not knowing this, but what happens with the organic stuff when it gets flipped over over time does it just turn into sand eventually does it like or, or does it just will it just be sitting there so uh, like sticks or roots you know there's there's a you know just a billions of bacteria and fungus living in our soil even sand um so that that eventually just will break down and uh turn into you know just a darker you know soil but so any wood wood that's in the soil will get become broken down just by the bacteria and fungus. And I'm, I'm not a soil scientist either, but you know, the, the deeper that stuff is, the better if it's in the, if you get a lot of organic in the top, uh, you know, six to 12 inches, you, it can cause some issues with the turf, uh, down the road. So, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's the process is when you see it happening, you're just like, we're going to grow a golf course on this. And then it, it just it just works. So so then it becomes just I you know for people that have seen pictures of Lido, it's this just open, expansive place. So it it just became this expansive piece of land that was all sand outside of two dugout lagoons. 
Correct. And then from there, what what was how did you guys like what was next for you in that in that growing? Uh, so after the the logging, what's next? Yeah. So the main thing you're focused on uh, when you start up is uh, water. Number one is water, water, water. You um, you know obviously with that you you work with the local governing bodies to get your permits because you know you're you're going to use water that uh, requires a a permitting process through the state. And so waiting on that is a game of patience um, because this is 2021. Uh, everyone's still working from home and, you know, the process is slow. Uh, you get the water and then once you have water, your uh, next objective is you've already started working on is power, um, trying to get your power in and obviously a pump station. So we we were um, fortunate to work off of a temporary pump station uh, that pumps straight out of the ground into the uh, irrigation off of a well that uh, we grew the first five holes in on, and it was it was a neat experience and certainly a, a temporary solution that really paid off um, to get the project springboarded. And um, that's essentially it. I mean, once you get that first hole grassed and you have water and and power, well, we didn't have power; we had generators. And uh, I could do a whole two hours talking about the stories of the generators. <laughs> but that was uh, that teaches you a lot about, you know, just your being alert and, and urgency when you have a seedling that's, you know, you can't even hardly see it other than with a microscope and something goes wrong. You know, you have about an hour to get that fixed and or else you're going to be starting over. Let's take a quick break to talk about our sponsor and the sponsor of Turf Week on the Fried Egg Podcast, Toro. For more than a century, with cutting-edge turf equipment and irrigation solutions, Toro has had your front nine covered and your back nine too. In fact, Toro's always had your back, period. Toro is as committed to your long-term success as tour pros are committed to their shot. That's down to top-notch customer support from Toro and its dedicated local distributors, both of whom are passionate about delivering turf equipment and irrigation solutions that solve real-world problems. Follow at Toro Golf on Twitter and reach out to your local Toro distributor today. Again, follow at Toro Golf on X, not Twitter, and reach out to your local distributor today. All right, let's get back to Jimmy. With the course, what was it like uh, working with Tom, obviously Peter Flory was very involved, and uh, Brian from the from the computer side. What, what, how unique was the experience of of really like trying to put back something that existed a hundred years ago? I think for me, it was just uh, you know watching it happen. I you know I I had no opinion. Uh, <laughs> I was just you know I'm I'm here to put grass on what they uh, determined was the you know as close as possible to the original Lido. Um, so just, you know, from Tom and Brian Schneider, Peter Foy, Brian Zager, uh, Craig and Santos, you know, it was such a, a team of, of, you know, experts in each individual aspect, you know, and everybody had their, their lane of the highway and just watching us get to the, to the finish line, you know, is, uh, was just, just as an experience that I'll, I'll never forget and we'll, we'll. It, it's definitely molded me for you know the rest of my career just just watching you know so many people uh you know work together and there was never a you know big disputes or you know anything of that nature it was just here's the facts you know peter was the expert of the original Edo. uh you know tom was consulting with that and they you know all just came to you know a conclusion of just we're going to do this and we're going to do it right and it was executed as I, I thought just perfectly to plan. Best memory from uh, the growing process or construction process? Do you have one that's uh, on the top of your head that you kind of think about a lot? I would say it was probably the one that we all still talk about is um, it was midnight and <laughs> we we had a, a going back to the generator. It was it was midnight and we had an emergency delivery 
the generator had stopped working at like 6 p.m. that night and we had called in, you know, to get a replacement. Like, I was like, if we don't have this by tomorrow morning, we're uh, some, you know, we're, we're going to be, we had like four holes grassed at this point. We have no water. So we did get a generator that night at midnight and uh, we're out, you know, towing it back out onto the golf course to get it hooked up. And just the, uh, I'll just say the, the delivery driver that night was a character. And that is something that we still talk about to this day. I mean, what kind? What kind of character? Give us a little color around on, on this uh, character. Is it, well, is he, it? you know, he was a big fella, and uh, <laughs> his, apparently they called him Tiny. And, yes. <laughs> I was. And, I was about to say he probably was nicknamed Little Boy or something. Yeah, and he. Oh man, he. You. You kind of needed to have a translator to understand what he was saying, but he was uh, something else, and. Boy, was he glad to get out of here. You know, he, I guess he'd gotten called on to make this emergency delivery and he just, he wasn't too happy. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. That's good. Um, So growing in, you know, for people that have seen Lido's early photos, I mean, it's, it's just, as I said, it's, it's just sand everywhere and, and it gets, it's not like the windiest place in the world, but it gets windy there and the sand blows around it. How, is, does that make it really hard to get grass down? Yes, it does. Um, we, after the first year in 2021, we had 13 holes done. And after the winter, we put up about two miles of erosion fence, uh, which is four foot tall wooden slat fence like you would see on a beach. And we still probably had, a, we grassed about 50 acres. And um, we had about, I'd say 20 acres that were under at least an inch of sand. And we all thought that we were going to have to redo uh, those 20 acres and just kind of start. Hey, well, first we need to take this first month and not continue the course. We need to go back and regrass. And then it was just the most amazing thing. Fescue grass is just incredible. It just started popping. The shoots that started popping through the sand and all that grass that was buried, we regressed not a bit of it, every bit of it grew through uh, some places were, were there was two inches buried and um you know some of it we scrapped scratched off and there wasn't one piece of the of the property that you know we wanted to get back that we didn't get back from and that's some of the best grass out there now just you know old tom morris discovered the you know sand top dressing and let me tell you uh, you can put two inches of sand on fescue and it just it's the happiest happiest grass out there so if, for people that haven't been or don't know much about Lido, it's a, uh, it's a, I would say it's a very big course. It's, uh, it's got a lot of sharp features, um, some big greens, some big, just bold contouring. Was there a moment during this construction where there's a specific feature or hole where you looked at and were like, how am I going to maintain that? I would say it started on the, the first green that brian schneider said it's ready <laughs> and you know which, which green was that uh 14 was our first green so four, 14 and 13 were um the first greens we seeded and uh 14 was that's you know pretty abrupt is, bump is that green. the short hole yes that's the the thumbprint short and um that was that was just a preview of what was to come <laughs> so i would say uh seeing you know, four bunker at the green, uh, off the back of 16 green. Uh, some of those, you know, those are some slopes like I've never seen before on a golf course, uh, just pure grass. And, you know, I didn't think we'd be able to grow grass on them, but the, uh, you know, the hydro mulching method we used, it did it. We changed the mix a little bit to make it a little stickier and um, it, it all grew in. You know, that was probably my number one, I'll say, concern, you know, watching the course get built is just how are we ever going to keep grass on these bunker slopes? Because if you lose the grass, eventually you lose the slope and then you lose the architecture. And, you know, thinking that we we're going to have to do a lot of redos, but it just it worked. What's the most challenging thing about day to day maintenance out there? In this day and age, um, I would say that's a, that's a pretty good question because I would I would say there's a lot of things that are equal, but um, you on a on a day to day, it's probably just 
ensuring that, you know, we're doing everything to our ability to keep, you know, like the pace of play where we want it to be. Because Lido is a is a beast, uh, especially when the wind's blowing. So just just the simple things from course setup uh, to monitoring, you know, how the ball's rolling on the greens that that can, you know, we, we've got a really good pulse on it, but it can, you know, weather conditions and, um, you know, agronomic practices can can change that quickly um, without, you know, really dialing it in. So I would say that's just maintaining the level of the golf course just day to day for playability and, and pace of play. Uh, what have you seen is the biggest, you know, outside of weather, what's the biggest thing that slows down pace of play? Since it, I, I, you know, why it's important for you, just, you know, I think like more so you, you're in a unique situation where you have a private club, you've got m- member tea times in the morning. I assume those fly around, you know, and then you have public resort play or resort play. It's not public resort play in two blocks and in between there you have a member block too. So you have this dynamic of members and resort guests. And I imagine that it's, it's a big thing just to get everybody around quickly so that neither party is really unhappy. Correct. You know, from my perspective, uh, you know, it's just the sum of a lot of small things, but I think one of the main contributing factors is, you know, just stubbornness. Um, it only takes it only takes one to, you know, slow them all down. And, you know, some uh, golfers just will will just say, you know, this is, you know, I'm, they don't say it to me. I don't know. But, you know, I think it's just an attitude of I'm here and I'm going to play how I want to play. And they don't think they're slow, but they're slow. and. Uh, that's it just takes one and and you know that's it's going to affect everybody we we run these events all all over the country and you know sometimes i have to be the the slow play sheriff at them and um <laughs> it's not never fun but i can i can tell you like when you go talk to somebody who's slowing up a golf course you never i've i don't think i've ever encountered somebody that's been like yeah yeah i know i i'm sorry we're we're playing a little slow we'll pick it up like everybody always is like well you know xyz happened or xyz happened and it's like listen i wouldn't be talking to you if if you weren't two plus holes behind right if you're if you're a hole behind and i can see the group ahead of you like on the next screen i'm not talking to you but you know (laughs) it's like the more than one thing happened to cause this you know right and then it's always amazing because then they just like speed up like this it's it's like making just a conscious effort to not waste time It, it makes the biggest deal from a maintenance standpoint what do you think the biggest contributor to slow play uh is from a maintenance standpoint i I think it's certainly probably course distance and, you know, not, you know, on a wind day, we, we certainly try to, you know, when we're playing holes are playing into the wind, if the wind's going to be 10 plus throughout the day, we always try to, you know, accommodate that with moving the tee certainly to the fronts of those, you know, pushing the upper threshold, the shorter threshold of that tee yardage for the, you know, to make it play shorter. But, you know, going back to that, it's golfers choosing the wrong tee that, you know, I'm, you see guys walk out onto the blue tee and they, they top it and don't even get it off the tee. And, you know, it's like, guys, you should be up like three tee boxes. Um, so that's, that's also a big contributor is, is people playing the wrong tees. And we can, we can amplify that with, you know, setting, setting the tees in the wrong areas, uh, you know, when, when the wind or conditions, you know, are going to be difficult. What's your favorite, um, let's just say architectural feature. So it could be a green, it could be a bunker or, or a couple, you could throw a couple out if it's hard to pick one out there. What are, what are some of your favorite um, built features out at Lido since well, all of them are built, you know? Uh, certainly. I think the, um, the, I'm, I've always been a, a sucker for par threes. So uh, 16, the Redan, that is just, that hole is just hard as hell. and I'm I'm a uh, old school. I still carry a three iron and a one iron, and I love getting that three or one iron out of the bag, and just having that wind coming straight out of the northwest, and just playing a big cut or or trying to hit you know a low duck hook in there. 
that just dives into the approach and, and sticks on. And then also ate the burrits because I'm a I'm also a a sucker for wanting to, you know, put the ball in the air. I I just I'm allergic to the ground game, but I do love ate the burrits to to try to like scoot one off that slope and let it ramp up onto the front of the green. I, I love uh, trying to play that shot. So that's I love hitting like on any on Barrett's holes, hitting like a punch driver and just watching the ball roll. <laughs> it's just like the most fun thing. And I mean, that's how they used to play a lot more like that. Have you gone out there and, and tried to play like hickory golf or, or retro golf out there um, since, since it's open? No, I haven't. I I do carry a um, a tailor made burner or a, original tailor made you know spoon little, driver. That's probably a the little metal one. Yes, I, I'm. So I'm thinking that's probably as vintage as I get. But Clark Willard, the you know pro here, you know Hickory Revival. He's uh, they have sets in there, but you know I've I've always told him we got to get out one day. But I've still yet to uh, go go hit hit the hickories around. Yeah, that having played it once, I like I got off it, and it's like you, you kind of like it's a it's almost like an overwhelming golf course in in the sense of like there's so much going on. I felt like one play, you're just you're just trying to take in everything, and and the magic of the golf course is how when you guys set a day to day setup, I imagine you move a pin, you can move it move a lot of them very f- far away, but there's so much going on that it completely changes the dynamics of how you play the golf course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly the uh, pin locations can, you know, ruin a day or, or make a day. And uh, we always are very conservative with our uh, locations. And um, those are always evaluated to make sure that we're, you know, being fair while providing just, you know, a couple challenges out there, but not nothing, nothing too tough. The weekends are just member play. Do you guys do anything different than than the weekdays where you have the mixed play? As far as from an agronomy standpoint? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think uh, we, we keep the course consistent um, throughout the week from uh, resort play to, um, you know, member play. I think it's, um, you know, it's, it plays the same as it does, you know, on a Monday uh, as it does a Saturday. One one just question I had, uh, you know, you see these, you see the pictures of, of Lido and there's a lot of... You, a lot of exposed stands still, you know, it, it kind of, and I think aerial pictures, you don't, it doesn't feel this way when you're on the ground, but some things the aerial pictures do is it, it shows how kind of new, what, what's the plan long-term for those big sandy areas? Is there going to be a, a native plant in there or is it just going to come in? And like, what does that timetable look like in terms of, of growing in a, you know, really like, allowing an area to almost i imagine naturalize right um so a lot of the um areas that you know are still sandy or are are non-irrigated and the irrigation that is out there can be moved and and kind of shifted around to help establish but the main goal for you know all the sandy areas is to you know at eye eye level you know at like you're saying when you get in the air everything just looks like it's still just pure sand but on the ground you know we probably have 50 to 60% ground coverage. And, you know, the goal is to when you're on the tee boxes and walking the course, we don't see any huge sand scabs. So it's a slow process. And um, we've come a long way. Like I said, when I look back at just pictures from the spring, I feel like we haven't made progress. But then I'm like, well, wow, there is a lot of fescue out there. So fescue cover crop throughout the property, the waste native areas. And then with that, we're going to uh, intercede some some uh, blue stems, a uh, little blue stem, and uh, some native wildflowers that we work with an ecologist to uh, put together mixes. Uh, so some patchy wildflowers in places. That's uh, that's cool. I I I think it'll. I kind of was thinking when 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 I was out there, I was like, you know, in like three years, this place is going to look completely different. And I always say this, like, you know, everybody runs out to the new course, and it's like everybody does their stuff on new courses, and it's it's like that's in in the best time to see i feel like the best time and you tell me if i'm wrong on this it's like the best time to see a golf course is three years into it because that's when it really has like matured in right i i think so um certainly i don't think much will much from the way the lido looks this year from the you know the the edges in i don't think there's a whole lot that's going to look different but 
from the edges out. That's really going to change and evolve. Uh, I would say, you know, I'm hoping by 2025 that, you know, like we talked about that the eye level of, you know, is just nothing but wispies, wildflowers and, and sedges and blue stems. Um, so you, you mentioned earlier, you, you've watched kind of uh, sedge from a distance. Uh, and that's obviously the next new course that at Sand Valley that that'll open next year. Um, what, what gets you the most excited about sedge? Um, I, you know, there's always this talk <laughs> and I tell people this and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, you're one of those guys. But, uh, I like to say, I'm going to wait till it's finished to go see, you know, I'm just going to wait and, and see it when it's all finished. You know, uh, usually people say that that can't get access to it. Now I'm just going to wait till, you know, see it all. And, uh, I have, I, I, unfortunately I broke my rule a little bit. I played a couple weeks back. I went and played the 13 holes that do have grass. Uh, Sam, the superintendent over there was nice enough to let me sneak over there, but there are still five holes that I have not walked on, have not looked at. And I told him on, you know, about November 1st, whatever day that is that we, you know, we're not blowing out yet, but have a decent weather day. We're going to have a lead over sedge um, four on four match and uh, for the for the king of grow ins. <laughs> it's, it's looking good. I, I thought it was really neat. Um, and uh, just it, it, I, I thought what I seeing, you know, I went up there and, and played sedge in the morning, the 13 holes. And then I came over to yours is like. What's so cool is just how dramatically different sedge feels and, you know, it feels related, but dramatically different from the other resort courses, just, I think in the, in the ground, um, and then some in the design. Right. It's certainly, um, unique and it's, it's unlike anything else here. Um, you know, I think that's what's so cool is the, the four big courses here, all different feels, different playabilities, um, you're going to get all from all shot values across the board, you know, on every course, but then just seeing sedge that, you know, there's really no open sand, um, just those sedge prairies that are just all, all natural, uh, unique. And those, those par threes over there, the ones that I saw, yeah. those are going to, those are good. Par threes and a lot of short par fours. I, I, the thing I really loved about, about there was there, the idea of like, you have tons of space, but there are consequences to the space, right? If you wanna, right. if you wanna, if you wanna push it, you need to get into the right space, which is usually kind of guarded. But mm -hmm. if you're if you're laying back, you could you've got all the all the space in the world. Um, right. Hey, I, have they converted you? Are they are they trying to make you a Packers fan? Are they trying to brainwash you up there? You know, I always like to say that. Uh, see, I'm I'm a Tennessee Vol. My wife's a yeah. Razorback. So I call Razorbacks my second favorite team. I'm a Titans fan at heart, but I pull for the local economy. When the uh -huh. Packers are winning, things are good here. Uh, you know, so I pull for the economy. I want Wisconsin to go in the right direction. So yes, I'm a second favorite team Packers fan. That's tough. That's tough. I, I every time I drive to Sand Valley, there's there's a uh, there's a house on that road in that's got a bear sign out in front of it. Every time I I think I always forget, but like, and I guess there isn't a place like on the way right there. I want to just drop like a case of beer to the guy. I like want to drop <laughs> a case of beer off on his front door and just like ring the doorbell and leave type yep. thing. Cause he's just this like holdout Bears fan in Packer country. It's a, uh, you know, you believe, believe it or not, we're, we're much more divided here than you would think. Uh, especially in this community here, because we're a second home community um from and many of those are chicagoers so um you know if you go to a bears packers game at a bar around here you're probably looking at a 70 30 or 60 40 uh split and um you know majority being packers but there's those bears fans they really they really they hang in there we do we well we're, a lot of bears fans are cubs fans so that's it's just ingrained in our uh in our <laughs> spirits from it's just we that's what we have to do as a chicago sports fan you just kind of you hang in that's what right. you learn how to do so it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of uh a lot of disappointments with very few great memories yeah so um hey jimmy Wish you the best with the rest of the season. Uh, it was uh, it was amazing to get out there and see, and the playing conditions were 
were fantastic. Um, Thank and, you. And really look forward to seeing uh, the course evolve. And uh, I think I think I'll see you at the end of the uh, end of the year. Uh, so look forward to, to spending more time with you and congrats on uh, on all the success of, of getting Lido uh, opened and grass. Well, I appreciate it, Andy, and thank you for having me on. And uh, it's been enjoyable. So be sure and reach out when you're back. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode was edited by Matt Ruches. Thank you, Matt. As a quick reminder, we uh, have Club TFE going. It's our membership, and uh, you know we we put a ton of content, ton of time in there. One of the things that's new, that's neat, is that uh, Garrett has Garrett's really spearheaded this. But every Monday, we have a new. Um, article up on Club TFE called Design Notebook. It dives into all the latest projects and uh, rumors and different things going on in golf architecture. So Garrett, myself, others from the Fried Egg are contributing there, kind of sh- talking about some of the courses we've seen recently, but then also the b- the big projects and you know, kind of uh, just talking about the trends. So most recently in in the latest design notebook, Garrett dove into the restoration trend of Pete Dye courses and really what's going to happen with all these golf courses that were built in th- from the 70s through the 90s. Um, they've all come to this time where they're kind of reaching a, a point of maybe they need to be restored or not. So if you're interested in Design Notebook or Club TFE, we've got a bunch of other things such as early event access, member events. Um, go to membership.thefriedegg.com. You can find out all the information there. It's $120 for the year. And that's really the best way to support what we do here at Friday Golf. So thank you uh, for listening. And we'll be back next week with a couple new episodes of the podcast. Mm-hmm.